episode was recorded on the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. We honour their histories, cultures and traditions of storytelling. Hello and welcome to Plated Three Food Memories. I'm your host, Sam Savas. of a century my catering company Plated has contributed food experiences for some of Australia's most extravagant and intimate soirees. Food connects us. It connects us to people, to places and to moments in time. These memories shape who we are and what we value. So come and break bread with my guests and I as they share their food memories, revealing far more about themselves than what they've tasted. In this episode of Plated, I'm taking you back to the days of the old schoolyard. Oh, oh, don't you remember? Well, actually, the school kitchen. Inner Sydney High School, or ISHS, is Sydney's newest and shiniest secondary school, standing an impressive 14 storeys high on the site of the old Cleveland Street High School. It sure looks a bit different from the schools you and I would have attended back in the day. But although the school looks different to what we may remember... At the heart of the school, it's the same, keeping the students engaged and empowered so they can grow and succeed in their lives after school are dedicated teachers charged with the genuine desire to give our little people quality education. Someone who lives and breathes this desire daily is Principal of ISHS, Robin Matthews. I am thrilled, albeit a little bit apprehensive, to be sitting in the principal's office, a bright light and airy space more akin to a creative director than the austere principal's office of yesteryear. Robin, it's so lovely to be here with you. Congratulations on this wonderful learning hub you've stewarded. Thank you so much. What influenced you to take a career in teaching? I was actually motivated by my teachers when I was at school. So um, I was educated in a public high school, really proud public school with fantastic teachers. What school was that? Hornsby Girls High School back in the day and um, I have to say one thing that I really enjoyed was home science. It was a fabulous subject, I really enjoyed it and from there when I was thinking about what I'd do, you know, when I left school, it was something that I felt really passionate about so hence the reason why I then wanted to um, pursue to become a home economics teacher. Do you come from a family of teachers? Are there any? No I don't, no I don't. What What were the professions in your family, mum and dad? Dad was an engineer. And my mother was a secretary in her day and did a variety of different um, jobs over the years. And what were their views on education? They really let schools do what they had to do. Um, Very supportive parents, but they were very much about... um, They never kind of got involved in education or got involved in schools. They were very happy just to let that go. So I suppose they probably had trust in the school. How do you think parents are these days? I think there's a lot of pressure sometimes in terms of schools and expectations, but I think it's really important to have that really strong connection with your parent community. Ultimately, you actually want parents to support um, their child in their learning journey and to actually be able to own their own success. So I think that's a really valuable part of the conversation and it's really important parents enjoy that relationship with their school. How do you go from 
well, what we grew up with as home ec or home economics to a leader of this transformative education hub? Look, I think what it comes down to is that I have been incredibly fortunate in my career. I've been surrounded by um, incredible staff and mentors. I remember going back to my early days in southwestern Sydney. After, I think, my first week of teaching, I could not believe that I could be paid to do this job. I walked away and thought, this is incredible. How can I possibly enjoy a job so much and that should be paid for it? Do you think all teachers feel that? I think in our public education system, we do the job because we love what we do. And at the end of the day, we actually do want to make a difference. It's not just about making money. It's actually about the core business, to see students grow um, and see that growth and development, to see them as productive members of society, to see the fact that in some cases it's not easy for all students and to see them overcome their own um, obstacles and actually to show growth in whatever they're going to do is just incredibly um, gratifying. It's an absolute privilege. My understanding is that teaching is an altruistic profession and teachers are most effective when they're in a face-to-face environment. Are they happy to be back in the classroom? Absolutely. There was so much joy and excitement and I think we were so excited to see our students back and we were so excited to see each other because once again at Inner Sydney, we opened a school in 2020, we closed a school. 2021, we opened a tower and then six months later, we closed again. So we're a new school with a new culture and with staff getting to know each other. So we're very excited to come back with a red carpet and balloons and lots of other great, exciting things, you know, just to ensure that everyone was feeling connected again. The school opened in 2020. When were you appointed as principal? I was appointed as principal, I'm just trying to think back now, to October 2018. What was the feeling when you got the the note? I was so excited to receive that phone call. Um, It was a really, it was a moment of of great sadness too because I really enjoyed the school that I was principal at South Sydney High School is a fantastic school. And so that was that immediate feeling of of disappointment that I would be leaving um, such a great community. But it was a challenge that I was very excited about taking on. As parents and caregivers, what can people do to support our teachers and our support teaching staff? I think it's really important that um, parents do trust the work that their teachers do. And, And I think that's a a fabulous way to support the whole process, particularly in terms of any involvement with any PNC associations, to get involved, to support the school where possible, and just to understand the complexities sometimes of what life is like at school. And sometimes schools have changed, and sometimes for some people, they have not been in a school until they went themselves. So it's really important to understand that it's it's such an incredible way to let your child start their learning journey and to embrace the successes that they actually get to enjoy. And I think with that supportive nature, by encouraging your child to understand that everyone learns differently and everyone will perhaps achieve those, those measures of growth at different times as well. Because we all want the best for our children. We really do. And so do the teachers. Okay, the kitchen is open. It's time to talk about your three food memories. Robin, let's start with your first food memory. All right, then I'll try and be quick about this one because I could talk a lot about my um, first food memory. But what I'm going to start with, I suppose, is is a couple of things, if I can, just to weave a few different themes in. So my mum is an amazing cook. In a lot of ways, quite traditional, but is an incredible baker. So these really sort of these recipes that have been around for, for, for decades, 
Um, and just, just to name a couple, it would be um, the Anzac biscuits, the cornflake biscuits, the Christmas pudding, the chicken a la king, to go um, a bit more savoury there. The passion fruit shortbread, the caramel slice, she's across all of those. And it's just one of those things where she's a perfectionist. And so the, the good and the bad part about that is that my mum would always say, you know, oh, it's never good enough. But we'd always say, for goodness sake, do not throw it out because we'd always, otherwise, she would throw them out and it'd all be wasted. So it's really funny when you think back in terms of back in the day. My dad, he also enjoyed food. They really loved food. So growing up with my, with my family, one thing that really does come to mind, and that's the Sunday barbecue, where the chores would finish at about midday on Sunday. Then the, the 70s outdoor barbecue would be there. The steaks, I think back now, and think the poor steaks that were marinated in the gut with that garlic salt. Ugh. And then we'd have the bananas, even bananas sometimes on the barbie, the, the pineapple, even the egg. And then my dad always loved a bit of chilled red wine. So no reason why you don't have to have um, red wine chilled. And so that would be the way in which we'd spend every Sunday. But my truly food memory going back in the day, and even to this day, and I call it the humble school prawn, because that's something that brings back so many memories. And um, and in particular, my parents moved up to Tea Gardens. And so what that's we- That's where we holidayed summer. I love that. It's bit. just so beautiful. So with those school, those mile, um, mile, lakes, mile, lakes. mile lakes prawns, my parents would buy those beautifully, um, the flowered, bread rolls, you know, from the local bakery and the prawns would be there and they would just demolish them. We just loved the school prawn. And then, and even going back again, even to this day, we still make the same curry prawns and rice recipe, which is so delicious. With Keen's curry powder? With the Keen's curry powder, of course, has to be, <laughs> with a little touch of um, sugar and a little bit of lemon juice, capsicum, tomato. Brill- you just can't go wrong. And, and of course, um, the prawn cocktail. How can you go past that? How would she make the sauce? Tabasco, cream, and the tomato sauce, not mayonnaise. Where did mum learn to cook? You know what? She's, always, she's, a, she's an incredible cook, very understated, very humble. She actually, I remember talking to her about this recently, that she used to go to the AGL um, cooking classes. Remember those? The gas. The gas. Yes, 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 yes. She would go there and she would learn how, how to cook. Was it something a lot of women of her age group did at the time? They did. They used to go off and learn how to cook and how to prepare different meals. I want to just spend some time thinking about that prawn. It's come up before with another one of my guests. Why is the Aussie prawn so Aussie? What makes the prawn so Aussie? What makes it quintessentially Australian for you? Because they're fresh and delicious and they're easy to eat. And it's one of those few, if you think about it, what's another type of food that you can actually just eat straight off? without having to do much to it. I think there's something really pure about it. It's almost like you can just have that and nothing else, and it doesn't need a single thing. Let's move on to your second food memory. Now, this is a really exciting one. Okay, so as you can imagine, I think you've got young children. Two boys. Two boys, and they're aged... Seven. They're aged seven. So context, I suppose, you know, when you have children and one of the things that when you really love travel and you have kids, sometimes it's really hard when you can't do the travel that you used to. Or you think you can and you do well, the trip and then you suffer right the way through exactly. when you wish you didn't do it. So we <laughs> discovered one country and that was Vietnam. So I think my daughter was four, my son was six and we thought, let's go to Vietnam and we had the time of our life. So we arrived there and I still remember looking out of the hotel window and seeing the bikes and the push bikes and that 
frenetic energy that happens all, you know, all night, all day long. And we just thought, this is for us. And then you walk through the streets, wherever you are, there is food on every corner. There is the way in which every part of Vietnam almost becomes a restaurant. The food is fresh, the food is delicious. And so one item in terms of my food memory, and I've thought hard about this, and I can't say it properly, and I'll put it out there right now, is the bang ziao. And I know the bang ziao is the sizzling of the, of the flour, you know, the batter when it goes onto the pan. So we as a family, we will just source that meal out all over Vietnam. Like it's so delicious, the Christmas of the, you know, the, 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 the rice pancake, and then you've got the prawns, and then you've just got so many different elements to it. And it's so different across the different parts of Vietnam. So if you go into, say, Hoi An, they're smaller, then you can actually wrap them in the rice paper and also the leaves. And they're just so delicious and so crunchy. And you can just go to the markets and you can just have as many as you like. And even though, you know, they can be an entree, they can also be a main. And it's just one of those things where I think that you just cannot go wrong. What did the children think? Do you remember their expressions? Love it. Absolutely love it to the point where we go back all the time because we just enjoy it so much. It's just one of those things that is so strong and it's really hard just to consider just one food memory of Vietnam because there are, there are just so many. Do you create food memories with your own children? Yes. What's up, what are some of those? Once again, I suppose a food memory would be where Angus, my son, actually has perfected a really good bang ziao. He himself? Himself. Wow, wow, wow. And your daughter? She's, she's incredible, actually, in terms of the appreciation for food. She makes her own pasta and does it beautifully. Um, I think that sort of that burnt butter, that gnocchi, with a sage mm. so delicious so no she's an incredible cook actually and she really loves preparing food she loves the journey of food from the start to the finish I think the pasta for her is probably her sweet spot in terms of what she can deliver and what she does like you know a lamb ragu delicious who does the cooking at home very good question <laughs> so I have to say as a, as a working mum I would say over the years it was predominantly me but I have to say, in the last few years, it's nice to say my husband really, really enjoys cooking, loves it, loves it, loves it. So he's been doing a lot more. And I think part of that is probably, um, you know, the change of, of pattern of working from home. So life is different as your children grow older, where your food, I think, changes from more, you know, I'd make a great lasagna, I'd do a good stir fry, I'd do whatever. But I think as, as life changes, you just have the time to be a little bit more spend a bit more time about the ingredients and about really producing, having a bit more time to prepare. Let's just talk for a minute. Now, you're, you're a food, and I'm going to get this right, a food technology. As it's known now. It's food technology, not food home ec. So I wanted to spend some time for just, for me, just thinking about my first home ec with um, lesson. I was, it was year seven. It was probably, I have to say, it was probably my, my second week of high school because I remember we started high school on a Wednesday and on Monday was home ec. Monday afternoons was home ec with Mrs. Peter Bollard, bless her. She was became a very dear friend of mine um, and for many of us, and, and we miss her dearly. But I remember with Peter, we cooked, our first lesson was bird in the nest. And what we did was we got a piece of sliced bread and we cut it out with a glass, the centre out with a glass, and then we put that bread in a fry pan. Do you remember, do you remember I this do. dish? Yeah, I do. And then we cracked the egg in the fry pan and then we we flipped it over so it was kind of cooked in that and then we cut the circle, the circle that we'd cut out with the glass, we cut it in half and then we fried those 
separately and put little wings. Mm. And that was our first uh, that was our first dish we ever cooked. And it just those cute little classrooms. And I noticed here, your um, food technology classrooms, you've got an industrial looking commercial kitchen. Commercial kitchen. Yep. And then you've got a domestic That's space. That's right. Tell us about those. Oh, they're just incredible spaces. We're so fortunate to have those facilities um, for our students. So our kids really, really enjoy um, learning about food through technology mandatory, which is a subject. And we have our um, electives food technology starting up for the first time this year for our year nine students. But I have to say, I can also remember my first meals that I had when I was at school. And one was, it seems very strange now, but it was an orange milkshake and scones. So... My family would know. I've still got the same recipe that I wrote in my recipe book and um, I still use that same recipe today. And it, it was the same recipe that I cooked in when I was in year seven. What were some of the first recipes you taught students in food tech? One of my favourite memories would be when I taught at Chester Hill High School and we used to do the old Christmas cookery unit. And I can remember it, it was quite hot out there because there wasn't any air conditioning. And so it was about 38 degree heat and all of our students were making gingerbread houses. So I had this room, this kitchen full of year nine students with these gingerbread houses collapsing all around the room and trying <laughs> to rescue them and prop them all up. It was a long time ago, can I say. When I was at Chester Hill High School, we had an intensive English centre at the school as well. So we would have you know, families that would be settling in the area. And so for me to take my students to go to Yamcha in Cabramatta, it was nothing. So we were able to just explore these incredible food opportunities and it was right at our doorstep. So we would find that um, families that would be coming across for a whole variety of different reasons were almost the gauge of what's happening in the world. So I would have students at that time coming from, from Burma. And so for them to come into a high school was such a new experience. So if you think about sharing those experiences between you know children from Vietnam, from Cambodia, you know, from Laos, um, to China, to Bosnia. It, it, there were just so many different countries where our children would actually be together in the same classroom. So we would learn so much from each other. So the knowledge was right there within the classroom. And I think that's a pretty incredible opportunity. What do you do with that knowledge? We share it. How? And you celebrate it in many different ways. And literally through the study of food and the different cultures of, of the different um, countries that were represented within the classroom. And I also used to take my students across the road to the Westbridge Migrant Hostel, where we would actually um, talk to some of the families there and actually find out their, about their culture and learn so much through that conversation about their foods and their beliefs and their cultures. And then would actually have them back and actually produce this incredible buffet um, and, and, and that's how we learnt about different countries. One story which I think was pretty amazing is that, and this shows that cultural shift, isn't it? So we'd always go to the Royal Easter Show with our kids, right? We'd take our kids to the Royal Easter Show. That was in the showground back in the day. And of course, any, every single person wants to wear mufti, don't they? They don't want to wear school uniform if you've got the chance. But your kids here love wearing their school uniform. Oh, uniforms. they love it because it's amazing. But, you know, everyone, lo everyone loves a mufti day. And I remember saying to my class, we're going to go to the Royal Easter Show. Great excitement because it meant a day out of school. It means you could go and look at all the cakes and the cows and everything else. And then we arranged to meet at the train station. And I had these girls, these gorgeous girls um, that were just new into my class. And then we met at the train station. And because I had said Mufti and it was their own 
clothes. They're actually in their traditional dress with the full makeup and the shoes, which were like the clogs. And they're in the, in the most beautiful dresses. And I looked at them and thought, we're going to be walking through the cows, you know, <laughs> and everything else. And I still remember that day because it just shows the different interpretation of what is your own clothes away from a school uniform. And so we all trotted off together. We all went to the Royal Easter Show. We all, you know, caught the train and off we went and looked at all the, the, the cakes. And I think, what else do you do when you go to the Royal Easter Show? Was it lovely just to look at them, you oh, know, through so, sight and just watch them just be I know. in their culture, just be themselves and be what they grew up? Exactly, which was beautiful to see. It was beautiful. Why were those Chester Hill years so uh, they've left an impression on you why that's a really good question i think it was because it was my early years of teaching and and that's when you're at the coalface and can you can you give us a little time frame that was in the um late 80s to pretty much up to around 2000 so it was a, it was a fair time so the, the the face of what australia looked like was changing wasn't it that very much so and even the face of what we saw there so yeah it's funny you should say that i think it was maybe because it's a first time when you've got your your permanent position and you're working with such incredible teachers within the school and there were lots of challenges as well but yeah there's something very sweet maybe it's about those really early years but can i say moving forward you know um been at Sydney Secondary College at Balmain. That was a really fantastic experience as well. Really different to Chester Hill, but you learn so much as you continue, and I think that's a really beautiful part about teaching. You know, when I when I think of the concepts of teaching and hospitality, there's a lovely correlation, a synergy between them both, a sense of giving. You In hospitality, we give to serve, and in teaching, you give to learn. It seems there's a growing number of students going into hospitality studies. Oh, so popular. Why is it so popular? Look, because I think there's such a growth industry out there in terms of hospitality. And I think that over the years, I think there is a much, there's an increased um, appreciation of what food it is for us, but also what you can do and the enjoyment we have from food. So when I finished school, actually going back to the, an earlier question, I actually wanted to be a food journalist, but it didn't exist. So I think these days we see that Food is such an important part of our lives. It's something that we enjoy. I think it's valued and there are jobs. And I think it's very much about pursuing that passion, that it's something you can do, particularly at school, that you actually really enjoy. It's a different type of learning. It's challenging. There's a lot of time management. There's a lot of skills you need to learn. But I also think too, you can actually walk away and have skills that can actually be easily transferred into um, life after school and it might be in a part-time basis it might be full-time but I think it has lots of different avenues to explore. All right Robin I'd like to move on to your third food memory. Okay my last food memory we actually were really fortunate to take our kids to Europe in 2017 and to this day and it's once again I think about that simplicity I can remember um, being in Florence and I think about it still and I still feel as if I just want to go back there and it was the most simplest meal. It was just grilled chicken with like the freshest tomatoes and, and leaves. And that was pretty much the meal. But the chicken was just so moist and so succulent and so delicious to this day. I don't think I've ever eaten chicken quite like that. What do your lunch boxes look like? My lunch boxes here? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. 
if only I had time to eat, that would be great. So mine, my lunch boxes are pretty, can I say, a little bit boring. They consist of a chicken salad. As I say, the chicken's never quite there, but pretty straightforward and pretty basic. You know, teachers are pretty busy people, so we don't really get a lot of time to eat. Let's talk about your social cause. To be honest with you, I think um, something which is close to my heart and um, and it's, you know, it's a bit of a hard topic sometimes and that is around, um, when you look at that cancer research and you look at a disease like mesothelioma, which is just a really hard, tragic and terminal disease that still needs, I think, it still needs a lot of funding. You know, like my father died in 2011, it was very sudden. And the interesting part about that was the reason why we knew dad wasn't well is because we were at the Tea Gardens Hotel um, and we'd ordered, I can still remember it, a pot lamb pie and he couldn't eat it. And my father loved his food, always loved his food. And that was when it was a realization that there was something wrong. And as an engineer, um, back in the day, he was exposed to asbestos and and, you know, there was always that shadow for him that that would be the disease because he was a very healthy man. As I mentioned before, really, you know, you know, enjoyed the nice things in life and, you know, worked really hard. He was a really hard worker and um, which is a very, I'm going to do a slight, um, can I just digress for a minute where um, the way my parents met is because my uncle brought home my dad to meet the family and that's when my mum and my dad first met and they used to work together. And then I think it was about 10 years earlier, I'll get my maths right, um, my uncle died of mesothelioma. And so my mum lost her brother. And then I think it was about 10 years later, I think that's right, and um, then my father died. So it's a really cruel disease. You know, it, it, it could have been, it, it is preventable. So I think there's something there which every time I hear that, that name, mesothelioma, I feel so sorry for for what that journey is like, because it's a very hard one. Now, you say there was a charity. Yeah, so Benny Banton. So Benny Banton, that, that foundation's actually um, closed. So I suppose what I would like to, to, to mention here is around the Cancer, Cancer Council and, you know, looking at that research into mesothelioma and possible treatments. Robin, thank you so much for your time at the end of the day. But before we call it a finish, education and the future. What are your thoughts on the future of education? I am very optimistic about the future of education. When I see the quality of the people that I work with, the passion that's displayed by my peers every day, and that's whether it's a principal, whether it's my director, whether it's my teachers, um, we are there for the long game. And we're there to make sure that we can provide the very best for our students and I want to make sure that my students are really proud of the school that they go to. And I know that um, in our New South Wales public system, that our teachers are working hard every day to make that happen. And sometimes it's not always easy, but I know the passion's there, the commitment is there, and we see it every day. What I would love one day is for you to come back and see what it's like for a day in a high school, because it's always different. It changes every day. There's something that will always put a smile on your face and there's always something to make you want to come back for more. Robin, thank you so much. Thank you. 
For more information on mesothelioma research, you can head to the Asbestos Disease Research Foundation. Search for adri.org.au and for a list of support organisations and programmes, search for mesothelioma further support on the Cancer Council website, cancercouncil.com.au. it for this scholastic episode of Plated Three Food Memories. We'd love it if you could tell your friends about it, write a review and share the love. Plated Three Food Memories is created in partnership with World Stories. In the next episode of Plated, I get dafty with the adorable Russell Torrance. Yes, he made the music for this podcast, but more importantly, he's the voice of ABC Classic Breakfast and the self-described Scotsman with the big laugh and loud tuba. Or is it the loud laugh and the big tuba? You'll have to wait and see. Bye for now. Ora kali.